0: Welcome to Feminist Question Time, brought to you by Women's Declaration International, the leading global organization defending women's sex-based rights against the threats posed by gender identity ideology. There's more information on the website womensdeclaration.com, where you'll find our Declaration on Women's Sex-Based Rights, which has been signed by 36,948 people from 160 countries, and is supported by 517 organizations. We have many volunteer activists, including country contacts from every continent, engaged in defending women's rights. You can also become a member, a member of WDI, to help our work by volunteering or donating. And we'll put a link in for that. Today, I'm really pleased to say we have Linda Blade from Canada. She's gonna tell us about the Canadian Marches. And what's happening in Canada. Then we have Claudia Baralo from Portugal. She's going to give us a brief history of the gender critical movement in Portugal, strategies and struggles. We also have Henny Platt van Hoedonk from the Netherlands. My reasons to fight for women's rights. That's her talk. And we have Kara Dansky from the USA, a win for women and girls in San Francisco. So Linda Blade is a former national champion of Canada in track and field, heptathlon, with a PhD in kinesiology. For the past 26 years, she has run a private consulting business as sports performance professional coach in Edmonton, Alberta, working with athletes in over 15 sports, beginner to elite since 2014 she served as president of the board for athletics alberta and i think that that's just come to an end so it's so that's um nine year term has just just finished which has been very involved in that at that level um and that in a, and then recently, in a bid to increase public awareness of the threat posed by gender identity ideology, Linda partnered with journalist Barbara Kay to author a book titled Unsporting, How Transactivism and Science Denial Are Destroying Sport." So we'll put a link to that book in the chat. So mm-hmm. thank you so much, Linda, for coming to update us and give us news from Canada. And over to you.
1: Great event that happened in Canada uh, on September 20th, Wednesday. Um, parents in Canada were encouraged to take their children out of school and march in the streets to protest the teaching of gender identity ideology in the schools. So yeah, so it's called the One Million March for Children. And I I hadn't even heard of this group until sometime in the late spring of this year. The next image shows some of the the poster that, that they put out. And it's done under the um, organizations called Hands Off Our Kids. The mission, if you just look carefully, together, we're united in solidarity, sending a message to all governments, Hands Off Our Kids. Um, The movement embraces principles of human dignity, freedom, and thought, and religious freedoms. Our mission includes safeguarding children's rights. Uh, And you can go down and see that they don't want their children indoctrinated. Uh, with gender identity ideology. So it, it was very clear, the message is pro-family. A lot of different religious groups showed up, Christian, Muslim, Hindu, Jewish, but also many secular people and, and just general parents of school children. So the next slide, um, one of the, there was a woman and a man. They're, they're both from the Islamic community, the Bahira Salam. Uh, is an engineer and she, they're both from um, Ontario. She's in Toronto. And the next slide shows um, Kamal El Sheikh, uh, is the the gentleman that worked with her. Um, And they're also, I think he also lives in Ontario. And uh, I guess they had been working on this behind the scenes for quite a while, but the women's groups, we didn't even know this was happening anyway. Um, it's good. And we all kind of join hands, many different organizations. So this is the map of Canada and this, the blue dots show you all the different marches uh, across the country. Like how many, like, they started thinking they could get it done in 12 cities. And when I counted on their list, the actual number of cities that had marches that day was 102. So it just exploded. The need to speak out in Canada has clearly Uh, it's come to a head and, and they, you know, they've really, everybody's really jumped into this. I'm going to show images so that we're going to start with images from Ontario, from various cities, uh, in Ontario, as I speak. Um, so the next slide shows, uh, the crowd of, of, of people who just want accountability. This is in Ottawa, by the way, this is our national capital, Ottawa, massive, massive crowd. I think that was the biggest crowd. And uh, very small crowds were counter protesting the parents, the, the rainbow, like the Chevron flag. Uh, and of course, the media always said like they were the same numbers, but there's no way there was this crowd. And there might have been a handful of like maybe 50, 20 to 50 people always on the other side. I love some of these posters. Uh, everybody was happily doing their posters. LGB stop transing the gay away. If genitals don't define gender, how does removing them affirm it? Great posters. I like this one. Never trust anyone who says don't tell your parents. <laughs> Rumors. And this is in Queen's Park. This is in Toronto itself, uh, near the, the main hall, uh, the legislative uh, building there. Uh, and this is, I think, where the, where, um, the organizers, one of them was there. You can hear somebody saying, "Leave our kids alone," and that was a common chant across the country. So here's a, a capture of the president of the labor council, the local union uh, in Ontario. Um, they were caught; uh, a meeting was leaked that they want. They were uh, in, uh, contacting and directing Antifa to go against the the protesters and the parents. So uh, obviously, the labor unions were not on our side. Uh, Right away, they went to the other extreme, which was interesting. And oh, and then after the fact, this is our (laughs) Bell Canada, one of our networks, the telephone company is offering sessions in case people were had hurt feelings after the marches that they could get a healing session through the telephone company, which I found just (laughs) I found this one of the most hilarious outcomes. Anyway, that was the That was the, the situation in Ontario. And now let's move across the country to the next slide. Uh, so the, this one was in Saskatoon. I just wanted to show you uh, a image from there. So this, I believe this was in Saskatoon. And one of our women who is on WDI Canada has now written a Substack about all of this. And if you look at the next slide, I believe it's on... Um, Yes, so she goes by Char-Kate. And this is Saskatchewan, the storm, Soji storm. Soji, of course, we, as we know, mean in Canada, there's a curriculum called Soji123, sexual orientation and gender identity. And so you'll see a lot of the signs um, in all of these next few images saying no Soji123, because this is the actual curriculum coming from the Yogyakarta UN people. Through the Canadian um, um, bureaucracy, I suppose education system, and so yeah, this is this is a big one. So you might want to check out Char Kate um, over the next and on gender the uh, gender Oh, and by the way, in this particular province, uh, the premier the, the the premier of the province has put through a bill that will make it uh the parents must be informed if a child wants to uh, have a new name and new pronouns and a judicial uh ruling just said they can't do that and so this premier scott mo uh this is what premier said our government extremely dismayed by the judicial overreach um the best interest of the children is to ensure parents are included in their children's education in their classrooms and in the important decisions of all of their children. This is the statement. And now because of the blockage from the courts, because Canadian courts are all captured as well. This premier is going to go to uh, almost taking this to a constitutional crisis. The premier is going to use the notwithstanding clause to override the judge. And, this is the most extreme thing a premier can do to um to invoke the notwithstanding clause means that they will he sees it uh, that he can override a judicial ruling. Uh, and of course, all the all the woke or I guess normal legacy um mainstream news outlets are saying that this is, you know, there should be no reason why the premier should do this. And this is unnecessarily overreaching with the constitution and blah, blah, blah. But you can see how now some, even some leaders in this country are starting to get the idea and then realize what's going on. And uh, we're heading into uh, some, a couple of years of really interesting conflict. So let's move to the, let's go on to my area of the country, um, which is in, uh, in Alberta. And I'm in the, one of the northern, if more northern. well, no, where the, big, where the blue dot is, I guess, in the central part of the province. Uh, we have a massive part of the provinces far north. So um, uh, the blue dot at the very top of this is where the oil sands are. This is Calgary. So the first one is in the city of Calgary, uh, which is to the south of me. And then the next one, I believe, is the Edmonton crowd. And let the video run. You'll see their signs. These are just great people, normal people.
2: My kids, my kids, my kids, my choice! my, kids, my choice. Cameras on the teachers! my kids,
1: my waving my flag um and um so it was fantastic and by the way that group of that was walking through it took the crowd was so big it took 10 minutes for that for all of them to walk through so that was just a small clip of a 10 minute um so many i think it must have been at least five to ten thousand people i mean just walking and walking past so here's the small anti-counter protest crowd And and imagine, imagine that the media was saying the crowds were the same size. (laughs) Um, It's quite a joke. And and I, I want you to notice that building behind, the building behind, okay, you see the Chevron flag, the progress flag. And then you see the title on that building is the Alberta Teachers Association. So they literally... The teachers' association was literally saying they were on the side of the pro- the counter protest, and that big flag was on their parking lot, their parkade for the teachers' association. They put up the big flag. Uh, the big protest was opposite side of the street, so it was a big middle finger to the to the parents. And then something happened. I think a couple guys from the parents' protest got over to that parkade and ripped the flag down somehow they got that flag off there so it was a kind of turned into a game of steal the flag and now I want you to see the next image so now the Edmonton police are looking for these two guys who took the flag down and and they're being accused of these are hateful people that they have to find they have to find these two guys anyway it's just so silly the whole thing is silly So now we go over to the West coast and we have images from Vancouver and Victoria. Um, Megan Murphy was in the one at the, the, the far, farthest, furthest West. So Megan Murphy was showing even in the lead up uh, on the day before you'll see on the September 19th, um, she was showing emails from BC human rights commissioner uh, saying that this thing was hateful, that there's, anti-trans anti um denying the existence of trans gen and uh, gender diverse people so what they were already starting to try to try to um tell the public that be careful there's a bunch of hateful marches coming up and this is again just sight and sound vancouver i believe this was vancouver Everything was peaceful till this. Until it got to Megan Murphy in Victoria.
2: Sexist nonsense ideology that claims the impossible. Oh, that individuals can change sex through self-declaration. That claims it is possible to be born in the wrong body. That says if a girl or a woman sees a man a in their change
1: part. room so and that... Ma- the police let trans activists and Antifa invade the parents and the crowd where Megan Murphy was speaking and then the police forced the protesters to the parents uh, side Megan's mic to be shut off because they said that it wasn't going to be safe anymore so suddenly they were worried about safety after they let all of these Antifa people in and caused the you know, a bit of a confrontation physically. So everything across Canada was peaceful until that moment. We almost made it. We mo- it was the farthest. You know, just before the Pacific Ocean, and all of a sudden, all, <laughs> all hell broke loose. Of course, the local University of Victoria, where Megan was speaking, there uh, was uh, talking again about some of your aware protests against trans and that in schools were taking place against uh, uh, cities across Canada. I guess this was in the preamble as well. It was hate-fueled movements. It's always hate-fueled movements. And then our prime minister weighs in. Our lovely Justin Trudeau, let me make one thing very clear. Transphobia, homophobia, and biphobia have no place in this country. We strongly condemn this hate and its manifestations, and we stand united in support of blah, 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 Canadians across the country, and you are valid and you are valued. And then the finally, after a day or two, it took a while, the leader of the opposition, which is the conservative leader, leader came back. Justin Trudeau always devised to, to distract from all he has broken. This time, he is demonizing concerned parents. Parents should be the final authority on the values and lessons that are taught to children. Trudeau should butt out and let parents raise their kids. So, we can now see the little bit of, you know, the now there's opposition. The Conservative government was never stopping all this until this year. So this is very good news that there's going to, like the conservative. some parties at least are standing up, uh, starting to anyway. This is the last slide, and it's just big hurrah and thank you to everybody. And it was so successful. There's going to be another march on, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, October 23. So this is only beginning. It's not stopping. And at the Abbotsford School Board, I think two nights ago, there were about 500 parents um, trying to stop the school board from making a rule about enforcing SOGI 123. And the school board barely squeaked out a win and the parents erupted and the the police had to escort the board members out. Um, I think Canadian parents, it's safe to say, uh, I think the cat is out of the bag, as we (laughs) say in English. Uh, You can't put it back in the bag. I think this is really the moment of big change in Canada, I hope. It's going to take, there's so much damage has been done, so many rules and laws and legislation. It's probably going to take us a decade to unravel everything. But I'm very hopeful. I think uh this is this is uh the turning point, at least it feels like it. So thank you for letting me share.
0: Our second speaker is Claudia Barolo Baralo from Portugal. She's going to give a brief history of gender critical movements in Portugal. So Claudia, welcome. I'll introduce you. So Claudia became a more or less known um Person in the Portuguese lesbian community due to her projects. One of the most important was, or most known, was called Leswork, which was a lesbian network, two thousand and nine to seventeen, with more than a thousand women in Portugal who started promoting dedicated events like dinners, picnics, paintball games, speed datings, annual camping, and parties. Only the parties were open to everyone. Libofem was another party, but for women only. A few years ago. Um, Claudia was focused on gender-critical movement in Portugal and more than one year ago created gender-critical lesbians. Claudia's aim is to help put together people who want to share creative and peaceful ideas to clean the mess and avoid more damages that gender ideology has been creating in our lives. She realizes we need to cultivate more critical thinking, not only about this damaging ideology. So we're really grateful that you're here, Claudia.
3: I believe that uh, to understand the Portuguese situation, uh, it's important to give some context about uh, feminism itself, uh and um the lesbian and gay uh movements uh in portugal that um appeared uh, very late comparing to uh most of uh, your countries um and um well we need to be aware that we had a dictatorship during almost 50 years and um Homosexuals were persecuted, and the feminists uh, were focused in um, dealing with the dictatorship. So women were quite important, and their struggles were um, were quite uh, how can I say um, directed to to this problem uh, we were dealing with. So, just to give you some uh, context, uh, Portugal is this really small uh, thing we can see here uh, in the corner of of Europe. It's um it's a very small country. We are comparing ourselves all the time with Spain um, despite our governments having uh, the are are inspired also uh, by countries like uh, USA, uh, Canada also uh, according related to this issue of uh, gender ideology and uh, Spain. We are comparing ourselves all the time uh, with Spain, our only uh, neighbor. So what happens to Spain uh, sooner or later might happen, uh, in Portugal too. That is something uh, to be worried about. But back to the future, to give you some context, um, I could not find uh, many stats from the beginning of last century. Um, I wanted to compare um, illiteracy in Portugal. Uh, In the beginning of the century, uh, very, very few people had access to uh, schools. Women having access to education were a clear minority from the elite. Uh, Also, very few people were able to read or write in Portuguese uh, and less, much less in English or French. We had uh, just to give you some uh, history background. Uh, we had the um, the monarchy uh, was replaced by a republic uh in 1910 uh, uh then uh, there were some issues uh with two political parties uh, uh, fighting against, against each other so uh, the situa- the portuguese situation in the uh, 20s were very very complicated and it turned uh in a in a military coup in 1926 that uh, originated what we call estado uh, novo um, so from this period uh 1926 till 74 uh, Um, It's the period we consider uh, the dictatorship in in Portugal and um, it was uh, very hard uh, for uh, most Portuguese people who didn't comply with uh, what was happening. Uh, We need to be aware that Portugal was not the only dictatorship at the time, right, because um, Other countries were suffering from the same, but our situation is a bit uh, particular for many reasons. Uh, Talking about the feminist movement, uh, there were some uh, feminist uh, organizations. Uh, For you to have an idea, our first feminist Congress was in 1924, the second one in 1928, and the third one, Uh, recently in 2008, I was there too in 2008, uh, and I didn't uh, perceive uh, any, um, uh, anything less consensual in the the feminist, the Portuguese uh, feminist movement at the time, maybe I was not aware of it, but, um, well, uh, in the first uh, feminist congresses um women uh, were claiming for the right to vote to access education equality freedom of thinking uh to have access to professions like judge diplomat military or police um also uh It was a hard situation because uh, in order to work, travel abroad or open a bank account, uh, women needed uh, an official document with her husband's permission. So um, it was the case of my my grandmother also. In the late uh, 60s, um, there was this uh, famous um, writers uh we shared the the name who shared the name maria maria velho costa uh maria teresa horta and maria isabel barreno teresa horta is the only one who is alive uh nowadays uh i'm not sure now but i think in 72 uh no sorry uh so one of them uh was uh being um harassed for a book uh i believe a book of poems uh she wrote and she was commenting uh, with her friends um uh, about the situation about the harassment uh and one of them came up with the idea well wow, if one woman can make such gem- damage can you imagine how it would be if we would do something together. So they created this book. I have the last edition, uh, Novas Cartas Portuguesas. It means something like uh, the new uh, Portuguese uh, letters. It was, were criticizing many things like the war uh, because Portuguese uh, were uh, at war with their ex-colonies. They were talking about rape about uh, pedophilia, about uh, the situation uh, of women in Portugal. So it was uh, very... uh, It is a collection of texts and poems and essays. So it's a collection of of many things. And uh, it is not signed. So nobody knows exactly which one of them wrote what. At the time, the strategy of the government was uh, not properly censored in the beginning. uh, They would allow some uh, books to be published in order to punish the editors uh, and the authors. So they were allowed to publish the book so they could um, uh, persecute people who bought it the writers and the editors um it's also important to to refer that uh, uh, there is a very important book called uh Mulheres de Minha Terra, women from my country from maria lamas um uh, who is has a huge collection unfortunately i didn't put the the image here who has a huge collection of the of women uh working in the fields Working in the factories, um, so basically she was showing because she uh, traveled around all the country and also the Portuguese islands Madeira and the Açores to uh, make uh, um, this very uh, interesting document that is now a book. It used to be um, um to to tell about uh, women's life. So this was a very brave book and uh, they managed to uh, pass the book to some of their friends who had contact with feminists abroad, um, who organized uh, many marches and actions uh, in solidarity with the three Marias. Uh, so these images, uh, some of them are from um, Holland. Also, we have New York uh, and uh, what was the other? Los Angeles, Los Angeles. Uh, so as you can see, uh, they were uh, talking about the new Portuguese letters, the book, the three Marias, and about the Portuguese situation. The funny fact uh, is that in Portugal, nobody knew about it because there was the censor uh, and nothing was being published in the newspapers, but the feminists abroad uh, knew about it. And uh, so um, the international community started exposing the situation in Portugal. Basically, they were, uh, they escaped from the trial uh, because of the revolution, uh, we call Carnation Revolution in 1974. There is a picture, unfortunately, I could not find it anymore. There is a picture of the feminists uh, from Holland uh, on the rooftop uh, of the Portuguese embassy in Hague uh, with, uh, uh, with um, I'm, I don't I'm sorry I, I forgot the English word fashion uh saying uh, free the three Marias. this is a very interesting picture. Unfortunately, I could not find it anymore. Uh, we have uh, very few I also bought the, that book. We have very few uh, documents uh who talk about homosexuality uh during this period. um it is not very well documented. Uh, this book, is one of the few um it was launched in 19 uh, in 19 oh sorry in 2010 um and it is being uh, criticized because she's speaking about people who are already dead and uh, cannot confirm uh their homosexuality so basically uh the author did uh, um some interviews uh to people who who knew uh, how, how was it? And uh, most of the names who are exposed on the book um, are from people who who died already. So but anyway, this is a, a very interesting document that uh, exposes some of the situations, Uh, of uh, most uh, homosexual uh, people. Uh, It's important to note this, that the Portuguese penal code allowed uh, to punish persons caught in homosexual acts. Um, And only in 1982, it was decriminalized. Um, It's also interesting that uh, during this period uh, appeared our first gay disco. So the the first Portuguese gay disco is from early 80s. Um, Since uh, homosexuality by the time was considered a mental disorder, uh, homosexuals were frequently locked in uh, what we call Mitra, Uh, And later uh, they started being locked in psychiatric hospitals where they used to receive electroshocks. Uh, They also could be condemned to forced labor uh, or restrictions to have a profession. Only in 1986, with our integration in European Union, homosexuality uh, stopped officially to be considered uh, a mental disease. Uh, Only in late nineties, our first gay and lesbian charities uh, were founded uh, as well as the first edition of uh, the Lisbon Gay and Lesbian Film Festival. It is the oldest movie festival in Lisbon. Uh, We have many festivals now, the French festival, the uh, German festival, the independent festival but this is the oldest one. Um, it is uh today is the last day uh, of the the festival it is uh, occurring now uh, and I believe it is in the 26th edition. Curiously uh the Lisbon gay um, and lesbian film Festival changed its name. Uh, in two thousand and seven to Lisbon queer festival so this is a very uh, interesting uh uh so this was a a, a tip that something uh, was uh, changing in two thousand and seven but uh generally speaking uh it, it was not uh, uh much uh By the end uh, of the 90s, we also, uh, the the Gay and Lesbian Association, start the street celebrations we call a Real. Also by this time, appeared the first gay hotel, um, the first gay Portuguese magazine, and the first gay website. So everything at the same uh, period. In 2000, we had our first gay pride march, only in 2000. Um and uh in 2009 I've launched Leswork, the first lesbian social net, social network uh um dedicated to lesbians, uh with uh, which we organized many events for lesbians till 2014. Um I remember some people were trying to convince me to create an association, to transform Les Work in uh, in something official, but I never wanted to, and I'm really glad I I didn't. Um, When uh, Les Work disappeared, we were uh, more than 1,000 girls. Uh, And uh, it's sad to know, that many of these girls uh, claim to be non-binary, use uh, strange pronouns, and uh, some others uh, started making uh, mastectomies, uh, taking cross-sex hormones and identifying as uh, men. Uh, It's interesting, some uh, important dates. In 2010, uh, Portugal was the eighth country to recognize same-sex marriages. What is happening in Portugal is that uh, our governments in um, um, realizing that we uh, were too late in the um, lesbian and gay uh, recognition of uh, their rights to have their uh, unions uh, officially recognized and all this stuff they started to compete with other countries to check who will be the first ones to approve certain uh, laws and rights and things uh, solved as rights. 2010, the eighth country recognizing same-sex marriages. In 2011, uh, it it appeared the first uh, law regarding gender recognition. Nobody was very aware Uh, about uh, what was it uh, really. Uh, In uh, 2016, artificial assimilation also for single women and lesbians. And in 2018, the self ID law who allows to change birth certificates. Um, Also during these years, schools started teaching something called educação para a cidadania which means something like uh, education for citizenship Uh, this was uh, kind of made in most portuguese people backed Uh, i believe it was during uh, holidays uh, during vacation times Uh, it was very fast there was no any discussion in the portuguese community so most people were uh, kind of uh, cocked uh, by uh, surprise. Uh, nowadays, this is bringing uh, some huge discussions about uh, the contents of uh, this, um, uh, of education para a Cidadania, uh, when it turns to distort biology, history, and also language, and promote what we uh, generally call gender ideology um, it is very pre- uh, hard to precise exactly when it this started to be absorbed by the academy the portuguese academy and being spread uh to uh, through to all society this was a very gradual uh process and we were not uh being aware of this
0: Going to now hear from Henny Platt van Hoijdonck from the Netherlands. Um, Henny's talk is called My Reasons to Fight for Women's Rights. And Henny says her mom and her, the mum of her mother, both fought for female sex-based rights, safety, etc. I used to think those were safe in the Netherlands, and I always did stand for women and with other countries, but has now found out that this is under attack by misogynistic patriarchal new religion. Henny had to fight back. So thank you so much, Henny. Um, and over to you.
4: My mom and my grandmother uh, were were active in, uh, in 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 the fight for more rights for for women. So I was I was taught from a very young age uh, that that the generations before me had fought for what we had, and until a couple of years ago, I always thought, well, that's okay. They they they've delivered that fight, and now uh, we can kind all. Of, can continue make the world a little bit uh, a better place. Uh, I was taught very young, uh, you know, you should always, as a woman, never be depend, never de- be dependent, uh, be independent, go study, uh, go uh, find your own job, make your own living, at, uh, et cetera. And when I was younger, I was uh, very active in uh, in the labor youth organizations, student unions, uh, Dutch peace organizations, all all those. Well always had something like you know you have to make the world a little bit a better place uh, I uh, like uh, like Joe I studied to become a teacher uh, social sciences and and history but uh, I never ended up uh, before a classroom because I uh, I found uh, I found another job I work for one of the biggest Dutch uh, unions uh, in the, in the Netherlands and uh, through my work I uh, well I I found out, Women in other parts of the world, uh, countries like India, etc. Well, they deserved. Uh, they they have less rights, they have less safety, uh, etc. Than men, and we are working through uh, amongst others international responsible business conduct to make the world a little bit better for everyone. And well, then I think it was about two years ago. Uh, I first had, uh, I first found out in the Netherlands, there was a sports club for women and the man demanded access because he said he felt like a woman. I had something like, well, this is funny, you know, we fought for special places for women. But what, what's what's happening over here? This must be some sort of exception. And then I started to read more. Uh, I, uh, I've read uh, the books by uh, by Kathleen Stock and by others, and I had something like, okay, everything my mom and my grandmother fought for is in danger and it's in danger by a a new sort of of religion because, you know, uh, like I said, uh, I'm your typical uh, really uh, left-sided socialist, atheist, pacifist, activist, uh, whatever you you, you call it, uh, kind of woman, Uh, the the, the kind they're always talking about. uh, the typical ladies from the left, uh, okay, that's, uh, that's me. And uh, then I had something like, okay, this is like some sort of religion, and they want me to believe that I have to give up uh, our sex-based rights because a man wants me to share his belief. Uh, I don't believe I'm going to do that. And uh, that's when, uh, well, when I had something like, okay, uh, this can't be happening. I I have to to find out more, and I have to fi- well somehow fight back. And that fighting back isn't always easy, you know. I saw, I well, I'm I'm following a lot of the people over here on uh, on, on on X on Twitter, like uh, like Linda and Joe and Cara and and everybody, and. Uh, I had something like, okay, this, this means I can't stay silent. So that's why I signed the pledge because there is still a huge wage gap in the Netherlands and in all kinds of countries all over Europe. We are fighting for women and girls in, in, in developed countries to have safe access to toilets, to safety, etc. And over here, we are expected to hand over those safe places on a silver platter to man who says he's a woman. Don't think so. Uh, solidarity is very important to me, and uh, then I'm thinking, okay, I've got it fixed. I, I, I'm not going to be immediately threatened by this, but I have younger girls in my family. I have nieces. I have a granddaughter. Uh, I don't want them to share a locker room uh, with 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 someone like uh, Will Thomas, uh, if if that ever was going to happen.ing uh, And That's why I signed uh, the pledge and that's why I signed the declaration. Uh, In the Netherlands, we are going to have elections coming November. And uh, together with some other uh, well, women from the political left, uh, who are also still members of political parties, we are trying everything we can to at least uh, show that it's not just conservative, religious uh, women who are fighting uh, against all those poor trans women who are really women and uh, who we should uh, be kind to. No, women from the left are fighting for everything our moms and our grandmothers and our sisters fought for and we are not going to hand it over. We are not going to give it away. And with a lot of us, we are already uh, making clear to Dutch politicians, you know, Uh, following the example from uh, from the UK, if you say a woman can have a penis, we are not going to trust anything else you are saying because if you are lying about that, you're also going to be lying about the economy, about uh, the environment, about uh, pensions, about healthcare, because someone who is blatantly lying, how can you trust them? Uh, Never. And uh, that's why I signed uh, the declaration and like Joe said, uh, and I wrote it down, I, I see transgenderism as a m- misogynistic, colonizing, patriarchal, men's privilege movement. And uh, I think all women, to- all women together should stand in uh, in solidarity, and not just for us, not for our generation, but for the generations that are coming after us, our nieces, our, our daughters, our granddaughters, so that they can have the same safe sex based rights, spaces, sports, I had when I was growing up. And, uh, well, uh, they can uh, can kiss that uh, silver platter with, uh, with, the, with the tie around it, with our rights uh, on it handed over to them. They can kiss that goodbye. And that's a pledge I'm really making.
0: We're going to go on to our our final speaker, who's Kara Dansky. So Kara Dansky is from the USA. She is a lawyer and president of the U.S. chapter of WDI, Women's Declaration International. She previously served on the board of Women's Liberation Front, WOLF, from 2016 to 2020. And the title of Kara's talk today is a win for women and girls in San Francisco. Welcome, Kara. I want to say San Francisco was a
5: huge win for women and girls. Uh, The U.S. chapter had our first convention in Washington, D.C. last September, and we decided to bring our message to the West Coast. And so we went to San Francisco. And leading up to the convention, we worked very hard to develop a really positive, friendly, collegial relationship with the hotel where we were planning to have our convention. And they really liked us. They liked working with us a lot. And so a couple of weeks before the convention, we heard from them that they were starting to get email messages and phone calls and complaints about us. Uh, they were getting complaints from people who were saying that we were a bunch of fascist bigots and that we were a hate group. And they were very curious about this and they wanted to talk with us about it. And so we had very candid conversations with them. And we explained that we are about women's sex-based rights. And they were kind of shocked that people were calling us a hate group. And so we spent a few days being very terrified that they were going to cancel us because as many of us know, all around the world, when women have gatherings to talk about our sex-based rights, it's par for the course for venues to cancel us. And so we started scrambling and thinking, we're gonna need a backup plan and what are we gonna do when women have booked flights and hotel rooms and how are we gonna handle this? And as the days went on, it became clear that they actually loved us and they had no intention of canceling it. And the hotel staff, our main point of contact, put us in touch with the head of security. And Megan Rose, our vice president, and I had multiple conversations with the head of security and he loved us. And it just became clear that they weren't going to cancel us. They were going to be there for us. They wanted to support us. They love our message. And the the head of security was planning to have security guards there the whole time to make sure we were safe. And that's what they said over and over again. Our priority is to make sure you have a positive meeting and that all of your attendees stay stay safe. And he even went so far as to say, my goal is to have a female security officer in every meeting room throughout your convention which was fascinating because not only was that a really good idea, but it also made it very clear that he understood our message. Now that ended up not happening because it wasn't possible for staffing reasons, but the fact that that was his intention told us right off the bat that they were with us. So that was really, really good. So a few highlights. We had just over a hundred women attend from all across the U.S. and I'm happy to say we had some guests from Germany. Uh, WDI Germany was there and we were very happy to have them. Our presentation topics included a wide variety including reproductive technology, women in academia, uh, intersectionality, women joining forces across racial and ethnic and religious uh, differences. We talked about lesbians and lesbians role in the women's liberation movement. We talked about lesbian-only spaces, We had breakout sessions on desisted women and detransitioned women. We had Laura Becker, who is herself a detransitioner. She came to give a breakout session. So we covered a wide variety of topics, and it was really great. We got very positive feedback. Um, Women just had a really good time. I'm sorry to say that few of the sessions were able to be recorded. We did have some sessions recorded, and we hope to be getting those out as soon as possible, but um, we had some challenges related to our audio visual, and so we weren't able to record all the sessions. So I'm sorry about that. Um, So what happened was we had a very successful discussion on Friday evening of the convention. We talked about radical feminist tactics. Lear Keith from Wolf was there to talk about the strategy of nonviolent direct action. Lauren Levy was there to talk about consciousness raising in the second wave and how we might benefit from consciousness raising in our movement today. I gave a talk about uh, legislative and legal advocacy in the women's liberation movement, and it was very peaceful and fine and positive. And then Saturday morning, and we, we knew there was a planned protest on Saturday morning, so we were ready for it. The hotel, I would say, was somewhat ready for it. They had their security on high alert, And at some point in the mid morning, the protesters showed up and for a while, they seemed to manage to keep themselves calm. And they seemed to want to portray themselves as the peaceful civil rights good guys against the mean, hateful bigots, which was us. And so they were able to control themselves for a period of time. But then Trantifa showed up in all its glory And what they did was essentially seek to disrupt and absolutely terrorize uh, our meeting. They made scenes outside and we'll have a few clips of what they were doing outside. One guy brought a hammer to the protest and actually took the hammer to the hotel's main sign outside and and vandalized it. Uh, The hotel manager who was very much on our side, he, did what he thought he was doing, which was his job to go out and prevent vandalism to his own hotel property. And when he did that, someone punched him in the face. Uh, The police were able to arrest the guy who took a hammer to the sign and vandalized the sign. I don't think the man who punched the hotel manager was ever arrested. Eventually, they actually stormed the hotel, and they were able to get into the hotel, and they tried to come directly to our meeting. And they used both the main entrance and some alternative entrances to get into the hotel. And security was fantastic about repelling them. And eventually, security had to stand at the main entrance to the hotel in order to let in legitimate hotel guests while repelling the protesters. And so we really think that our opponents peak transed all of the hotel staff all of the hotel security and all of the members of the public who were just there to be legitimate hotel guests. They made such jerks of themselves that they showed themselves exactly for who they are. And um, initially, hotel security had two members of the San Francisco Police Department on hand, but they eventually had to bring in more like, I think there were around 10 or 12. It- seen outside for most of Saturday. Uh, as I said, several of them tried to infiltrate the hotel and security was able to um <clears throat> to keep them out. They stayed late into the night. I don't know how late. I went to bed. Um, but the point here is that we just carried on with our meeting. We just ignored them. We let security do our job, do their job and the police, and we just carried on talking and we had amazing, amazing conversations. Our 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 purpose was not to engage with the protesters at all, and so we think they did a very fine job of peak transing pretty much everyone in the vicinity. Um, okay, so then on Sunday, we carried on with our meeting in the morning, and it ended on, uh, it ended just around lunchtime on Sunday, and we proceeded to have a very peaceful training session in the tactic of nonviolent direct action to prepare for the action on Monday, which I'll explain in a minute. But then one of the protesters from Saturday managed to actually check himself into the hotel as a guest. This lovely man was part of the protest on Saturday. I think this is in the evening on Saturday at some point. And I don't know who got that photo of him, but someone did and he was one of the men you know protesting our meeting and this guy checked himself into the hotel on Sunday have you guys, so it's hard to see but so he it's unmistakably the same guy he has long blue hair and he was wearing a black dress and we saw him walking around the hotel he mostly just wandered around the hotel um other than in this moment this is when he came right to The outside of our main meeting room and we don't know what he was planning to do but we immediately got security involved and the man behind him is security taking him out of the area outside of our meeting room so at that point he managed to behave himself and not terrorize us but he did wander around the hotel and he had friends there were a couple of other men in dresses and they just wandered around the hotel and the, the issue was not that they were attacking us, they weren't, but it was scary because we had no way of knowing what room or rooms they were in, what floor they were on. So then those of us who stuck around for Sunday evening adopted a policy of just not being alone in the hotel. Uh, many of us didn't have much to worry about because most of us were indistinguishable from ordinary hotel guests. And we didn't think that these guys would go so far as to just start randomly punching legitimate hotel guests, although who knows, they might've gone that far. But some of us did have something to worry about. And I frankly was terrified that if any of these guys were on the floor where I was staying, I didn't want to be in the empty hallway with them because I don't think that they would have hesitated to punch me. I had the same concern for Lier Keith. Uh, these guys know us by name. Every time they follow us around the country, attacking us at our events, they always name me and Lier And they often put photos of us up on their protest materials. So I was really legit terrified of this guy, um, but it was fine. We we had a buddy system and we didn't let anyone be on, you know, be on any of the floors alone. And, and it was fine. And then um, for reasons we don't know, he was escorted out of the hotel Monday morning. And it was pretty funny because I went to check out and I saw him standing at the hotel guest, seemingly arguing with the front desk. And I have no idea what they were arguing about. I don't know if he did something to justify them kicking him out of the hotel. I don't know if he just didn't want to pay his bill. I have no idea. But uh one of us, a woman named Laura Lauren, saw security escorting him out of the hotel Monday morning, which was great. Uh, and then he showed up at our Monday action. So I just want to say quickly about our Monday action. Um, we we were very we we were at City Hall to do a nonviolent direct action. We stood there, we we all gave speeches in support of lesbians in particular. And uh the police were very effective and the the same protesters showed up to protest our city hall action and the next clip i just want to show quickly is uh several clips that a woman named lauren put together specifically of me speaking and i i was doing what i was doing very deliberately to make a point which i think you'll be able to see so we'll use the liberal state to protect themselves hello San 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 francisco
2: to stand up for lesbians! The I'm so happy to be here. I'm Dansky. I'm the president of the U.S. Chapter no of the Women's no Declaration, no Declaration, no Declaration no International. We are an international
5: organization that stands for the sex-based no rights USA. of women and girls, including no lesbians. No and we are so happy no to be in San no Francisco, no Francisco no on this beautiful day no to stand up no for the no rights no of
2: lesbian women, and girls. No USA! No fascism. Fascism. No USA! No What do we want?
5: I just want to point out,
2: we are here
5: giving these no we are very calm, we are very happy, and these people are screaming at us like the lunatics that they are. That's why you're a Just
2: fucking
5: fascist! About rape culture. These people could not be more proud to support rape culture
2: right now. You're a fucking victim! You couldn't be a bigger fucking victim!
5: No, I just wanted to let them (laughs) show themselves for who they are once again. Uh, We were there to stand up for lesbians and for women and girls, and they called us fascists. So uh, I think we did a pretty good job of peak transing San Francisco. So the the reason we do our actions in the way that we do, uh, we try to look uniform. We have some very beautiful banners. And uh, we choose this tactic very deliberately. We understand that we're putting ourselves in danger. We do. We understand that. And that is not for everyone. Um, but we're going to keep doing it. There will be more actions. Our next one is in Portland, Oregon, on November 19th. And I just want to convey that the energy and joy and hopefulness were palpable. And women who attended reported that to us. Everyone who attended both the convention and the action felt like it was a really, really positive experience. So. Um, yeah we're declaring san francisco a win for women and girls including lesbians
6: thanks very much for inviting us along today um joe uh because we're getting really excited about the book now uh it's being published on the 10th of october and there will be both a digital copy and um a print copy and i've actually got some proofs so there's only three copies of this in existence at the moment but you can you can see one of them here and it's, it's a really beautifully produced book i think it's, um the people who've been working on it have just done the most amazing job. so so many thanks to to all of them. Um, to tell you a little bit about the book, um, it's in two parts. So the first part is a series of short uh, chapters, essays um, from about twenty eight different women all around the world. Um, and it covers an enormous range of issues. Um, well, just we summed some of them up, for example, on on the back cover. So the, the, um, the writers come from not just all continents, um, but also from all walks of life um, and discuss the personal and professional impact that uh, gender identity ideology is having in their countries. Um, and the topics range from um, um, myth-busting um, academics uh, to an Angolan lesbian, from a Canadian ex-prisoner to the mother of a gender dysphoric teenager. Um, the articles cover grassroots resistance in Japan, women's spirituality, reproductive exp- exploitation in South America and just a whole load more as well. And there's just an incredible range of voices being heard there. And it and it's great that we do have um, writers who range from first time writers to um, performance poets to uh, senior academics and just all across the board. And if you were one of the people that's contributed uh, to that, then then many, many thanks because it's come together as a really brilliant um, overall piece of work. Um, it's the first book ever that covers the question of gender identity ideology from an international perspective. So it's very important um, in, in that respect, I think. The second part of the book, um, is a series of standardized reports from 35 different countries we um as anybody many of you uh, watching will will have contributed to these as well we um did a questionnaire um and asked country contacts to complete it and we from that we've written standardized country reports and they tell a, a a tale of woe really for for women's rights across the board um we'd rather hoped to find at least one country which we could all dream of uh moving to where uh women weren't subjected to gender identity ideology and had other things such as reproductive rights um but it seems that such a country doesn't exist or certainly we haven't found it yet so um some of the countries that we report on in the country reports um are countries which gender identity ideology hasn't yet made a big impact on but they do tend still to have um, terrible uh, rights for women in those countries, particularly in relation to reproductive rights um, and e- equality and discrimination. So um, I think it, it's important that that we look at that whole range of, of issues that affect women. Um, the book is getting some fantastic reviews, and um, if you don't mind, I'm going to take a minute or two to, to read some of them to you, or bits of some of them to you, um, because I think it's important what other people have to say as well. So um, the Brazilian author and Rami says that the book is highly effective in exposing how financiers, governments, academia, the media and the press have collaborated in the mass implementation of the neoliberal ideals represented by the transactivist agen- agenda agenda. Um, secondly, Renata Klein from Spinifex Press, who's written a really Um, lovely uh, review for us. Um, And again, just some extracts from it. She says, one after the other, the articles report eerily similar mechanisms, changes in law from sex to gender and the introduction of self ID take place without fanfare and without public discussion women's declaration international and their country contacts must be congratulated for publishing women's rights gender wrongs it is a cohesive and timely volume which will contribute to educating people give this book to your mp your neighbor your parents and urge them not to sell out women and girls to delusionary trans speak Um, and finally from kathleen stock who says this is a stunning piece of work, providing a meticulously researched, jaw-dropping snapshot of the global effects of gender identity ideology on women's rights. This kind of work could not have been done in universities, but is no less reg- rigorous for that. Indeed, its quality only underlines that the very best work in uncovering, uncovering the parlous state of women's rights internationally is happening outside academia. So if you've contributed to the book, that's the, um, that 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 that's the impact that you're you're having on people who really um know just how important it is the work that you've done so again thank you all for that um we will be inviting um many of the contributors to come on FQT over the next few weeks and months and talk about their individual contributions so I'm not going to cover them any detail just now um but what i would like to do is to talk a little bit about promotion because it's really important um that everybody involved in wdi helps with promotion as much as possible Uh, we will be tweeting about it um probably starting in a a week or so's time Uh, we'll we'll be issuing a series of tweets and we would really hope that everybody um who can uh, retweet them or quote tweets them or something and make some comments yourself um, and also publishes them or reposts them in, in other social media as widely as possible. Um, once it's published or once we have the, the, the details, we will be including in the tweets um, links where you can buy the book, either the hard copy or the um, digital version. Um, the digital version will be buying directly from WDI, I hope, um, and that will be the same obviously everywhere in the world. But the uh, p- printed copies, uh, it, it's best if you buy them, it's cheapest for you if you buy them from a, a, an outlet that's local to you. So although we will be tweeting out uh, where you can get them um, if you live in Europe or the UK, um, if you live somewhere else, Uh, We will ask if you could um, maybe try and find a a better source for, uh, you know, a better local booksellers and and replace that in the tweet. So that's something that everybody could could help with, I think. Um, And I think that's really all I want to say. Um, We will be uh, sending out a few more emails as well uh, with extra information uh, as 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 we get it. And uh, thanks very much again, Joe, for having us along.